Welcome to episode 190 of The Cool Room. Uh, It's your host, David Griffiths here, hoping you've got some lovely, tasty beers with you while you settle down and enjoy this episode. Two episodes in a week, so much content, so many great events coming up and just recently passed here in The Cool Room. Uh, Last night, we gathered at Beer Deluxe with Boat Rocker, some unbelievably good beers there. Uh, They're still on tap. Get down to Beer Deluxe if you get the chance. There's about 10 barrels uh, that they tapped last night of things dating all the way back to 2016, a great founder's stout, but plenty of other big barley wines and stouts and things. I haven't even tried them all last night. I dared not taste them all, uh, but they're fantastic. Uh, look, as are the beers we're going to be discussing today, uh, today's episode has two halves again, uh, a continuation from episode 189. Check that out if you haven't already. The first half of the episode, we're going to be sitting down at the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club with our good friend Jackie from Co-Conspirators talking about the Barber Baltic beer uh, and the Don, two really big beers. We had an awesome day down at the Bowls Club last Sunday. And we're going to be back there in a couple of weeks' time. In fact, look, so many live events coming up. Uh, we're getting together with our mates from Co-Conspirators again to launch the Hostess at Pinoak Beer and Wine. I think it's going to be $10 pints of that brand new beer uh, on Friday the... Oh, now, what must be Friday the 11th of August, so come along to that one. And then we're going to be back at the Bowls Club again really soon uh, for a super special event. Tickets on sale now. We're going to be joined by Kurt from Deeds Brewing uh, as we sip through the four beers that make up the Journey series. Now, many of you will already be well aware of these beers, uh, starting off with Once More Into the Fray. These are some of the best beers we've seen out of Melbourne, Australia uh, in the last few years. We're going to be doing a vertical tasting of those four beers. Just $29 gets you uh, gets your tastes of each of those beers. Obviously, plenty of other great beers besides. So do rub your tickets from our Shopify uh, if you want to come along and enjoy those. While you're over there in the Shopify, well, look, grab the beers for the second part of the podcast as well, where we're talking to James Brainy about his family heritage. Uh, I think it's $39 for eight beers uh, there, really drinkable, approachable beers um, and some great yarns, as you will hear uh, in the second half of this podcast. Look, while you're over there, why not grab the beers for our next two online events as well? We're going to be joined by Behemoth Brewing, six fantastic-looking beers from them, uh, and then by Bowden Brewing as well. So, look, so many events, so many podcasts, so many live opportunities to catch up with your fellow cool rumens, uh, and so many online episodes as well, uh, which we really hope you'll jump on Zoom and be a part of. Look, let's get underway with today's episode, really enjoying these conversations that we have with Jackie. Uh, so many good yarns. Let's get underway as we're joined by Mr. Warren Wu. I hope you really enjoyed those conversations with Jackie. Remember, please, that we're getting together with her and co-conspirators team friends are down at Pinoak Beer and Wine on August the 11th, Friday afternoon, $10 pints of the hostess to celebrate Pinoak Beer and Wine's uh, fifth birthday, an awesome effort, and we hope you'll be able to get down uh, and just hang out with us on that afternoon and support both co-conspirators and Pinoak Beer and Wine. Uh, And similarly, support us by grabbing the eight-pack of beers 
issues that we're discussing here with James Brainy in the second part of our discussion with him about that enormous family story they have. These are really fun beers, and as you'll hear in this part of the episode, really approachable too. So, look, help us out, support the podcast by grabbing some beers, and um, really look forward to seeing you in the flesh or online for one of our next events. And we're about to talk about two more fantastic beers. It is mid-mid-winter here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. The sun was out earlier on and sort of gave us a bit of a false sense of summer, but I think we found exactly the right time of year and exactly the right time of day to be talking about the two beers that are in front of us now. We're going to be kicking off with the Barber, which is a Baltic Porter. Um, What is a Baltic Porter? Baltic porter is, is very much similar to an English-style porter, but it's um, made with lager yeast. So that's the, uh, the difference in the beer. But, um, and it's also quite a, it's a bit more of a higher ABV than it is on an, a, lager, a lager porter. So this is a 6.5% porter. So you get a lot of sort of raisiny notes from, from the beer. Um, and we decided to make this beer a part of our English station event earlier in the year and we wanted sort of this um, this style of beer to be sort of be our staple winter beer for the brew pub as well as on package so that's what we um, wanted to do we normally sort of do um, sort of sort of lower ABV um, stouts we haven't really done this sort of style before so um, it's good to do something different uh, we put it in a 440 mil can um, so you can, can share it if you like, um, you can drink it on your own. Um, but yeah, it's, um, pretty, been pretty popular throughout, throughout winter, but it's almost all gone because we're almost in springtime. We've been sort of asking people, particularly when we've been drinking the beautiful Carwin black boxes, go back and check our Shopify store for those and check out the, uh, check out the podcasts about them. One of the questions we were asking people in those podcasts is, where do you imagine this would be the best, or where do you imagine is the best place to be drinking this beer? Like, if I said to you, you know, I'm thinking about jimmying up some of the floorboards here at the Fleming and Ten- Kensington Bowling Club and setting fire to things just because I like to make eye contact with the new Bowls Club president while I talk about setting fire to the joint. Uh, <laughs> but where, what kind of thing would you like to burn to, uh, to, you know, sit around while you're enjoying a beer like this? Oh. You don't have to burn things to enjoy beer by the way no. but like where I, would you where, where would you this is a really good beer and even you could probably the next beer we'll talk about is probably in that same way but I like think of going up to the snow on a log fire in like having a cabin in the snow and drinking this style of beer um not too cold it's better when it's a little bit warmer like the, it warms up to a bit of room temperature um that's sort of where I think this big, like, log fire sort of situation. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I think. And so we were talking in our last session together about sort of how the audience at the actual pub responds to various beers. Tell us what people have been saying about this beer while they've been tasting it. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I think, you know, we've had a few dark beers um, on and people sort of normally sort of gravitate to... Um, so the imperial stouts or the pastry, pastry stouts, but this has sort of been a, an, a go, an everyday go-to sort of style of, of dark beer. Um, we've also, which we don't have here today, our dark lager, which is sort of on the same spectrum. 
Um, this is, it's a little bit lower ABV. That's sort of the style that, you know, people just want to have a bit of a session to. I mean, it's still 6.5% and it is a higher ABV, but you still can sort of just sip it and, and have a nice afternoon drinking it rather than having one pastry stout or one imperial stout and sort of sipping on that for a long period of time so you can have a bit, a bit more of it. Do you think people in Australia have got their heads around styles like this or are they, you know, obviously, you know, you guys launched with hazies and you sort of became famous for that, but this is a style that, you know, is very yeah. easy, happy drinking in, in winter and autumn especially. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a bit... You sort of go back to Keller beer. Keller beers are sort of the, what we talked about earlier. Um, people don't really know what a Keller beer is, so you have to really explain it. I think it's potentially an Eng Australian drinkers don't really understand it. Um, but I think people realise that maybe realise from a marketing perspective you're actually already drinking it, and you just it's just called something else potentially, like an unfiltered lager. Um, you know, a lot of people do haze like an IPL, like, you know, it's it's similar sort of style, like a, you know, sort of a, a hoppy lager. It's it's basically it, but just because you call it a, a Calabi, people don't really know, understand or know what it is. So, um, you know, with our dark lager, you know, we originally called it a, a Schwartz beer, and you had to explain what a Schwartz beer was, but it's essentially a, a dark lager. So when you call it a dark lager... They'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, I know what a duck is. I'm like, yeah. it's the same beer where we called it a short beer, but we've had to just sort of rename it so um, people sort of understand and they, we can educate people that way. So, yeah. Now, I want to move on to the Don as well, while we've still got them both alongside each other. So let's start to talk Don. We're going to have room for audience questions again in a few moments' time. I can see the table of questions over there is just itching full of questions. It's an amazing thing. It's, they're seething like a nest of snakes full of questions over there. <laughs> but, but before we get onto that, and before I express my thoughts on that table in even more effusive terms, let's talk Don. What are we having in the glass there? Um, so this is our second year doing our Imperial Barrel Aged Imperial Stout. Um, so it's this version was 12 months in barrel, which is in Starwood Nova barrels. Uh, so if you know what a Nova barrel is, it's... No, no, no I do. let's presume I don't, um, which is either because I like to pretend I'm naive or because I'm naive. <laughs> uh, so Nova is a red wine um, a barrels that um, Starwood put their whiskey in red wine barrels, so it's a little bit more... It's different to their sort of um, two-folds, which is just... Um, uh, a different sort of style of whiskey that they have. So this, it kind of gives off um, sort of more raisiny notes and, and those sorts of things from the, the Imperial Stout. Um, we, this is the second year we've done it. We did uh, our first um, first last year. Uh, that was only 11.6%. This year uh, we got more volume. Um, we got... It's now 12.3%. Uh, so, you know, it's quite... Sorry, thank you. 12.4%. Apologies. They're not uh, just a table of questions. They're the table of pedantry, and I like that a lot. <laughs> so um, we felt that there's a bit more body to it. Um, it was a little bit longer in barrel, so it gave us a lot more, um, a lot more uh, age on the, on the beer. Um, Dion's now in the process of... Um, so the barrels we used for this barrel we've used twice. 
So next year we're getting fresh barrels for next year's incarnation of the um, of the beer. So we'll have fresh barrels. So it'll be interesting to sort of be different on. So we're trying to keep back some beer this year so we can compare the two. We did that when we released this. So we had some um, 2022 and 2023 version on tap at the same time. All the 22 is gone now. But next year um, we'll have 23 and 24. Um and yeah, it'll be different to see what the different flavours would be from the barrel, the new barrel. So we'll, we'll, we'll let, it might be Nova barrels, it might be something else. But yeah, he's just finding that out now. So yeah, and we, we've got it planned in the brew plan pretty soon. So we can at least get another 12 months in barrels. So yeah. Can we talk about that mouthfeel idea? I was going to actually ask a question about the body of the beer. This is normally the kind of thing I'd let. You know, Warren Wu, wine expert, you know, ask about. He's not here now. I can say anything about him and we'll find out if he actually listens to the podcast or whether he just turns up when there's, you know, beer to be drunk. Um, but what does mouthfeel mean? What does body in a beer mean? And for people who've got this in their glass with us here in the room today, you know, how, how do they sort of experience that? Just sort of the coat, like, also, you know, we, we love drinking wine at home and sort of, sort of comparing the two, like, just how it coats the mouth and the feel of it in your mouth and its creaminess and, and, and the texture of it in your mouth. That's kind of what I get from body and mouthfeel. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you wouldn't think, like, a dark beer can be creamy, but, it, you know, and there's, no, no, there's obviously no lactose in there, but just the, um, what the barrel gives it um, in body and um, that sort of coating in the mouth and the mouthfeel from there... I, it's, it's quite interesting when you drink Imperial Scouts about that feeling in your mouth. Yeah, almost viscosity yeah. is one of those words that we sort of use. So it just sort of has that sort of extra little bit of why it rolls around on the tongue. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, where does the name come from for this beer? <laughs> um, so our events for the beer release is called Familiar Affairs. So um, it's kind of got the... Italian mafia vibes on it, so that's where the Don came from. So um, the uh, kind of having, you know, matriarchs, the head of the family, sort of version of her, we kind of wanted to give a male equivalent sort of thing, and uh, the Don was born. There are so many questions I could ask, but also so many questions that over the years I've been told never to ask, uh, that I'm, I'm just going to sort of move on past that one. But this is a really striking can design from Clint and the team. You know, is it, I think it's the only black can that you do? Yes, yes. There's no... I don't think there's any any other black... Dark colours, yes, but this is the only black can. And we've got ideas of maybe doing a black can itself with the black label next year or... A, maybe a gold top or something to, because, you know, this is, this is sort of the only, you know, we're a small brewery and it's kind of the only um, barrel-aged beer we've got, so we want to make it pretty special and have it available on tap of the brew pub as much as we can, so, and then we can keep some back for, for next winter and have both options available for people to try. This is a very inside-the-beltway question. It's the only one I'm really sort of going to ask along these lines, but talking to a lot of Melbourne and Australian breweries at the moment, obviously changing sort of circumstances in the economy. Uh, a lot of other breweries are going the opposite way in terms of their limited releases, their higher alcohol, more expensive releases. They're going from 440 mil cans down to 375, 365. Mm -hmm. You're going the other way. 
you're the sales rep. <laughs> this is not one you can handball and go, no, 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 I don't understand how the yeasts work or whatever. <laughs> is there a particular reason why you think this format and size is the way to go and why, why now? I guess it's a two-prong question, really, or answer. Um, being a gypsy brewer, we never had a core range. Um, and we, we only released our core range this year. And we wanted the, the limiteds to be to look and feel different to the everyday cool range beer. So that was sort of our main thought about a 440 can, um, was that uh, the difference in sort of when, you've, when you have them on the shelf at a, at a, at a um, bottle shop or bar, you have like all four cans visually, all right, that's their cool range. And then... Um, and then if you have space next to them, you can completely rotate, you can rotate through that space with your limiteds and it can be different visually. Um, and by all means, we're not releasing two, three, four limiteds a month, a, a week, um, like some breweries. We're, like some breweries, yeah, who we won't name. Um, um, but we are, we're doing it very limited. We are small. So, you know, we might only do one or two limiteds a month. And, uh, and then with the constant rotation of limited of um, core range. So, um, you know, people sometimes don't realise we are still very small. Um, and, you know, you know, we only have 15 staff in total for, you know, uh, retail and, and wholesale. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the reason why we went for 40 cans um, instead of the, three, the 355s. This is an excellent beer to sip on. It's an excellent, excellent beer to be uh, experiencing while we're inviting questions from the audience. And I'm really fascinated to see if anyone who's not on the question of tables can put up their hand faster than the question of tables, who I'm kind of managing to block out by positioning a poll, or whether the audience, uh, the question of tables is going to leap forward with the first question. How long will this beer last? For people who are sort of buying this to take home and put in their cellar, is it sort of a like a one year, or are we talking ten years? Oh, you know? that's an interesting question. Um, I, you know, it's only our it's only our second year on this. I mean, you know, you've got some other breweries that have done their barrel age program for a lot longer, and I know we've got a few secret stashes of some imperial stouts at home. Um, we did a um, we did one uh, an imperial stout with. Carwins many years ago called the Berserker. I'm not sure if anyone got their hands on that beer, but um, I think it was, what, five years ago, I think, Tim? Five years ago. It was pre-COVID that we did it. Um, and that was uh, barrel-aged in Aquavie barrels. Thanks, Tim. Um, and it was very limited. I think we only had one barrel um, of that, and we did it in 750ml bottles. Um, it'll be interesting. I think we've still got maybe one bottle of that at home, um, and that's five years old. And I think I, I, I check on taps quite regularly to see how everything's going. Um, but there's a few people that have recently opened it, and it's still holding up. So, but you know, it's still this kind of beer is still new to us, and so we don't know how how long it lasts. But do you keep some back so that you can actually? See how it's going? Yeah. You know, Maggie, Maggie, Dion, Tim and I always have a little bit of our sort of barrel-age stuff that we keep um, personally that we, we may open. Um, but obviously the, with the pub now, we've got that option that we can do that. Um, 
and we'll hold back stock for next year. And, and is there going to be a label called the secret stasher one day? And what would the label <laughs> well, for, you know? We can hold back all our Imperials and then in the five, ten years' time and release all the cans all at once. That'll be, that'll be a lovely, um, lovely thing to do. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it's, um, it's a new beer for us and we're still sort of working it out. And it, I guess it will change. It depends on the barrels we get. Um, if, we, if we are able to get Starwood barrels next year, we might not be able to get them and we might have to think about finding them somewhere else or another, another distillery that has options. So... Um, it could completely change depending on the barrels that we end up getting. So um, it'll be interesting. Any other audience questions while we've got the opportunity? Oh, there's two there. There's two there on a diff completely different table, the table of secondary questions. <laughs> Bing bingo is... I don't think bingo has never not appeared in a podcast, <laughs> so that's good. Bingo doesn't like hot plates. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> like hot plates. Um, we use it for a bit of tables, but, um, yeah, you just... Is it, um, I was talking to Dion about it, and there's a, you know, with um, there's a there's a time there's a timeline on barrels. You can't you just lose the flavour of them. So uh, we use them tw the current barrels twice for the last two years, and I'm obviously and they've been used before for you know whiskey and you know and the Nova barrels wine. So um, it's it's had a few uses on them, but. Um, but uh, no, it, it, they do have a they do have a shelf life. So, um, so the current ones that we if you go into the brewery at the moment, there's a there's a few that are in that are in there. They're empty at the moment, and they're just going to be they'll be used for pot plants. I, I, I know I said I was only asking one really nerdy inside the Beltway question, but do you fill the barrel? So you've, you've, you've used it for one season of the Don. Yep. Do you fill it straight away again, or does it dry out in between? No, yeah, you've got, you've got to you've got to fill it straight away, or else it will dry out. So, um, if if Dion if Dion takes the beer out, he will have to replace it with something straight away. Um, yeah. So we had a few, not this barrel aged beer, but um, our Gabs beer last year was an imperial. Um, sour that we did with marionette liqueur, uh, uh, liqueur, which we had a. It was an orange. It was an orange sour that we barrel aged in gospel barrels, and um, once that came out, he put a beer straight back in there. And we had our winter sour, the rhubarb and molasses sour. So we put that in straight away just to keep it still mm. working, um, and then once. They that came out into keg, they we weren't able to use that anymore, so they they come on defunct. So um, yeah, there's only a certain amount of flavour you can get from beer, the amount of times you use it. Yep. Uh, table of secondary questions. You had a secondary question. Um, so the, the question is about be. the Cooker's Biscuit Beer. Um, well, you might need to explain what the Cooker's Biscuit Beer is for people playing at home and then answer why you didn't make that for Leanne, given that her mum works at the, the Cooker's, Cooker's Factory. Plan. Yeah, that's right. Oh, um, oh, um, it could come back. What well, is it? What is it? It is a chocolate and raspberry pastry stout that we did with um, for Gab's three years ago. Um, and that was in collaboration with Cooker's Biscuits, which only Victorians would know about. They're available. Yeah, they're available in the uh, IGA down or Food Works or Rivers down in Macaulay Road, Kensington. Yes, while absolutely. I'm shouting out random Kensington uh, businesses. All good country 
Yes. And all good country hotels. Yeah, in the minibar. Um, so they, so we've got the flavours from their cookers, chocolate and raspberry biscuit and made a beer to compliment. And um, on our stand, you, we gave you a cooker's biscuit and a, and a beer and you could do like the Tim Tam slam thing and you could drink the biscuit, the beer through the biscuit. And, Did um, anyone actually do that? Did anyone yeah, actually successfully absolutely. drink the beer? Yeah, and we had like cooker's biscuits for months after that because we got this huge box of cooker's biscuits, um, which is a crowd favourite at home. Um, but yeah, uh, Leanne from Pinoak, her mum works at works at Cookers. I, I feel like I need to explain for our American listeners in particular, but you know people who are particularly political, that Cooker is spelt K double O K A, and it's a reference to a Cookerborough rather than a particular reference to people who have views about uh, pandemics and things like that. Just to be just to be clear, any other questions from the audience before so, I dig myself so a hole? No, I can't James, possibly maybe get out the of. Pastry stout, stout, stout came, the pastry chef came back, so maybe we'll we'll bring it back. Maybe. <laughs> Any other audience questions? I'm, we've exhausted. This is what happens. I know every time during the break on Zoom, I say table of questions. Yeah, absolutely. Round us out with one last question, table of questions. Oh, we've got two ta- questions to go. Off you go. So yeah. I'm going to re-ask the question again just so we make sure we get it into the mic. So the question was initially how much of the ABV comes through uh, in the finished beer from what's in the barrel to begin with. And we know in talking to, again, out of the black box experience, some of the barrels turn up very wet. So that there's almost like you know, yeah. four or five litres of whiskey left yeah. in the bottom of a barrel. I don't know whether that's yeah. your experience. Yeah. And secondly, how much of the flavour and is there the law of diminishing returns? Yeah. You know, does it change over time? To go back to what David's saying, yes, we when we got the barrels originally, we had a few litres of whiskey out of the out of the barrels. Did you drink that whiskey, or yeah, did you? Oh. We did actually. We we all um, got a little bit each, so which was quite amazing to drink. So we did get a little bit, um, but I guess it's really hard to to answer that question with um, the the. You don't really get. ABV, you can't really measure that. I'm kind of looking at Tim about getting ABV from the book. You get flavour more than anything. So um, so the process is you make the beer like normal and then you ferment it in the tank and then you move it to the barrel and you let that sit for whatever time and then you move it back into the fermenter and then you package it, uh, you carbonate it and package it. Uh, and then you test, you try to test the ABV from there. But it's it's very hard to get know what the ABV what is from when pre and post. Yeah, you, it's very very hard. Yeah, you do that, but yeah, you, you don't know because you know ABV, it changes it by itself. You know, you can't. It's very hard to measure the ABV if you get any ABV from the barrel to what the that what the beer nat- naturally does, so it's very it's very hard to sort of measure that. And like I said, we have a very small brewery. Some other breweries who have a lot more technology than us may be able to get that. Yeah. And so when we see twelve point four percent on a can, and I'm not asking you to put yourself in a position where you get sued by <laughs> you know the liquor licensing Victoria or something like that, but we know there are tolerances either way, and there's an acceptance that this could be what. 12.6, 12.7? Yeah, 12.6. It's, it's, two, it's two either way. So it could be 12.6 to 12.2. Yeah.
hope you really enjoyed those conversations with Jackie. Remember, please, that we're getting together with her and co-conspirators team friends are down at Pinnock Beer and Wine on August the 11th, a Friday afternoon, $10 pints of the hostess to celebrate Pinnock Beer and Wine's uh, fifth birthday, an awesome effort, and we hope you'll be able to get down uh, and just hang out with us on that afternoon and support both co-conspirators and Pinnock Beer and Wine. Uh, and similarly, support us by grabbing the eight-pack of beers that we're discussing here with James Brainy in the second part of our discussion with him about that enormous family story they have. These are really fun beers, and as you'll hear in this part of the episode, really approachable too. So, look, help us out, support the podcast by grabbing some beers, and um, really look forward to seeing you in the flesh or online for one of our next events. Well, here we are for the second part of our discussion with Brainy Brewing. Uh, please go back and check out what episode 189 to get the origin stories, to get yourself orientated to what we're about to talk about, uh, because the family history and the story behind the bees we're about to discuss is just awesome. Go back, check that out. But look, for me, it's exciting because Mr Warren Wu missed the first part of that recording um, Mr. Warren Wu, welcome to episode 190. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yes, thank you. I am a bit shattered. Work has uh, work has meant my life has not been my own. Um, but uh, yeah, back on board. Happy to be having a cold, cold beer in front of me. Uh, that is that's a lifesaver and pretty tasty. So I went. I I grabbed a lager because. I felt like that, and knowing that um, it was made of Burnley, I I kind of expected a certain quality and wasn't disappointed at all. So yeah, tasty I, I think this is going to be this spot. is going to be a fun experience because for people who are joining us in Zoom, they've already sort of had an hour, an hour and a half of discussion about mm. what's going on here. You're sort of coming in fresh. I reckon you're going to do a Warren Wu special and ask all the questions that I've already asked. Right. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Warren, meet James. James, meet Warren. Oh, oh, you guys just have to talk about Superior Stout. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. So as far as I understand, what I've missed is we've discussed origin stories. So what's the origin story of this uh, of the superior stout. I'm 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 really excited about this one because we've been smashing some really great stouts and and uh, yeah, it's nice to nice to get into something with a little bit of history to it. You know, thanks, Warren. Um, the superior stout was originally brewed at our family brewery in Sale in, in Gippsland, Victoria, and I, I've hopefully strategically placed uh, behind me. Um, the team photo of the day wow. of five of the six brothers um, from the, the, the Gippsland Brewery. Um, and that was really the first brewery that our family ran together. They, uh, as we've kind of run through a little bit earlier, um, a number of them had some training uh, before starting the, the, um, the Brainy Brothers Brewery in, in Sale. The eldest brother had um, been trained at Victoria Brewery in East Melbourne um, by an expert brewer, so that's where the kind of expertise came from. And um, in the late 1890s, the family uh, started the brewery in in Sale, and mm. the stout of the day uh, was the Superior Stout. So this was the stout that was brewed um, in Sale, 
in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And as we've touched on earlier, uh, when we did find the brewing journals or the recipe books that were used uh, at that particular brewery, um, the stout was in, included in that. Um, so it's the it's the stout of the of the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Um, that uh, is a very same as our other beers. Uh, it's a very easy drinking stout. Our beers are very mm. easy drinking, and this is a very easy drinking stout. As I've touched on before, the brewers talk about the recipes or the the the, the, the brewing formulas as being. Very uncomplicated. It's sort of back to basics, and uh, this is a very easy, easy drinking stout. Um, and it's the same stout recipe that was taken to to other breweries around the country that the family worked at. Um, so, but the, the origin of the Superior Stout is uh, in Victoria. Oh, great. Um, what were the other stouts like that were taken? Do, is, do we get any sense of? of the differences but, uh, when when it evolved or when it was taken over to other breweries? Um, yeah. how Do we know how if it changed um, from the Victorian version, the original Victorian version? Um, I guess it's a hard question to, to mm. answer. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, weren't, we weren't there at the time. But the, the, best, the best way I can answer that, and I, I haven't spoken about this too much, so I'll, 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 I'll answer the question, but in a slightly different way. Um, so my grandfather uh, started a Melbourne Cooperative Brewing Company at, at Abbotsford, which is now the CUB Brewery at Abbotsford, and he came from the family brewery in Sale. So he basically went from Sale to Melbourne Co-op mm-hmm. and um, started producing the beers there, which is, uh, you know, Abbott's Lager and, and Melbourne Bitter, which would have been very similar to the mm. Lager. So we, we kind of know that. But also this stout, the superior stout, is the heavier, is the higher elk stout. So there were two, there are two stouts in the book. Okay, yeah. We've, we've kind of gone there, you know, we've gone the higher elk version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's six six 6.2% elk vol. Um, so the, the brewery in Abbotsford was clearly taken over by CUB and they for many years had a and some of the you know some of the ones that participating now would would know of or may recall there was an Abbotsford double stout in the marketplace and probably until the 80s or 90s and Abbots invalid stout is still in the marketplace today mm. that my mm. grandfather started wow um, clearly the I mean, I've still got some really um, good connections and, and friends at CUB. So when when one of the brewers from Abbotsford Brewery today tasted this stout, he said, this is so similar to Abbott's double stout. And apparently um, CUB still produced Abbott's double stout and then they blend it down to make invalid stout. So he basically said, we still make Abbott's double stout because oh. we need to make Abbott's double stout to get invalid stout. And they don't need to produce it that often. So a brewer That's today... That's our scoop. scoop, this, Warren. <laughs> this, is, this, to me, tastes like Abbott's double stout. And I go, well, it's probably a pretty fair chance because it was my yeah. grandfather's, the one that started it, and, and he was working off the same recipe. So that's probably as good a... Anecdote story that I can give you about what how did they how do they compare to when they travelled? Um, 
and and again, the stouts that the family produced in in, in other states are off exactly the same recipe. So. Mm-hmm. You know, the family travelled. They didn't change the recipe. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. travel. Yeah. Like, why would you? Yeah. You wouldn't. That makes a lot of sense. I'll yeah. move somewhere. I'll just go and make something different. You just keep making the same, keep the same recipe. But obviously, there would be variations in the water and the, the natural mm. ingredients. But yeah, I think we we would our going. We would expect that the beers would have been very similar. It would just been the, the variations of ingredients and water. Well, it, I always find it funny, Warren, I'm sure I was about to ask another question, but I once infamously ran a 15 different stout tasting at a bar that I had in Kensington. And the uh, blind tasting, so none of the punters knew what they were having. And I think the Abbotsford actually won that out of the weirdest and wonderfulest beers of the world, pink labels and neon greens and everything else. Um, there were things that were far more niche and people could appreciate them for what they were, but... The Abbotsford is still one of the best beers going around in Australia, as Corey says, and I, you know, I love a black and tan with a with an Abbotsford in it. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a. I I haven't had one in a while, but that, that does stick out as a great a great beer. Um, yeah, it's good to have a, some idea of the heritage too. Um, and it brought up another point. It, Abbots is one of those which is a really lovely drinking stout and you can drink it all throughout the year although most of the time we're thinking more cold weather um this one shares that similar lineage where it it it, it's it's just a lovely and you said yourself too james it's just a really lovely drinking like stout i could imagine drinking this in a you know just a a mild melbourne afternoon um do you think there's a lesson there for the modern kind of beer making industry that that um, that that more that drier, easy drinking style has a place in the market and, and is something that we should we should be thinking more about? Um, now I say this from a place where no, we. It's a, no, I understand yeah. the question. It's a great question. I, I don't know whether it's beer drinkers or or publicans. But there's very much this, and it's, you know, I've been fortunate enough to spend um, time in, you know, in pubs over the last couple of years as, as, we've, as we've expanded um, our business. And there's very much a mindset that, you know, stouts a winter beer and as soon as it becomes like September 1 and it's spring, we'll, we'll take it off. So, um, yeah, some places will just have stout on tap in the colder in the colder weather, mm. so it's very much seen as seasonal. Um, from my experience, personal experience, you, you can get Guinness anywhere, anytime yeah. around the world. So I don't see Guinness going off tap, mm-hmm. you know. And most places run Guinness twelve months of the year, but there's there's still this other attitude that the stout's a bit seasonal. So we, you know, last year we had. Um, you know, some places with our stout on tap, and then it, then they stopped ordering them when it got to to spring, and then they've actually come back on contacted us in in you know, April May and go, oh, stout season, can we have your stout again? It's kind of like, so I don't I don't know if it's the beer drinkers that stop drinking it, yeah. or if the pubs that go, I oh, know it's time to put on you know something that's easier drinking, but um, yeah, getting back to our stout, it's. It's just an easy drink. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerously easy drinking, mm. to be honest. I think it's fair so, to say, uh, James, that when you and I first caught up and you weren't quite sure about coming on the podcast, 
and I was out in Burnley there trying to pick up some beer and, you know, we met and we had a stout and then we had a second one. And by the end of the night, we were very good mates and everything was good with the world, but it, oh. it did exactly, the, exactly what a stout is supposed to do, which is bring two people who'd never met before together, uh, you know, in a way that, you know, we're mates now. We absolutely are mates, and that's what that's what you know beer drinking's all about. And but I, but I could still ride on the back of the coaster, say David. So I mustn't have had too many stouts because from what I just saw, my riding was still kind of legible. But but yeah, you're right. It did. We we didn't have any trouble at all having more than one. And you know, sometimes you do kind of go, I don't think I can have another one of those. Where this this is this is very easy drinking and. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's a question or, or whether it's covered, but it's probably worth mentioning that um, in the first twelve months, um, you know, when we, we or I guess we were new news in the Burnley, in the Burnley crew, uh, Michael entered um, our stout in the Australian International Beer Awards in um, 2022, and and, our, and the Superior Stout won the gold medal. So, well, one one of the gold medals because there's more than one mm. gold medalist, but. Um, our superior stout got a, won a gold medal, and the Cooper's stout won a silver medal. So, to big judges and a blind taste test, they've, they've kind of thought this stout's okay as well. So, as we, we were we were a bit blown away because um, yeah, we 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 knew he'd entered it, but we weren't even tracking it. And we got a phone call saying, "Hey, hey guys, you just won a gold medal at the beer award." So that's that. I think that gives it a, a, a pretty good. Um, you know, stamp of approval. Yeah. How, genuinely, how does that feel? Again, you know, sort of as a person who's carrying a family legacy forward, is that a grouse feeling? Is it a feeling of responsibility? Is it a touch of all of the above? Over, sorry, overall, as far as a stout or just in an overall? Oh, just, gen- just generally, when you get an accolade like that and you reflect on the fact that, you know, the, you're inheriting and perpetuating in the best sense, you know, the family legacy. Is it responsibility? Is it fun? Is it, you know? <laughs> it's probably it's probably option D, I guess, all of the above. It's I mean it's incredibly gratifying. I mean we you know we couldn't be prouder that um that our back beer story and our beers have been uh so well received. But it, you know I guess they they my, my, my family wouldn't have got the accolades that they did over the years if they weren't producing great beers. So it's, yeah, I guess it's rewarding and, and, and reassuring that the beers are so good. And if they weren't, we, you know, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you guys. If, if that first taste, it was like, oh, my God, we can't finish it. It wouldn't have gone this far. So, yeah, we're, I, I couldn't be prouder that we've been able to bring back um, some great beers, but I'm probably prouder that I've been able to showcase my family history and, bring back to life something that really had been buried and wasn't known. So there's probably as much pride in being able to showcase my family's brewing credibility and history as much as been able to present great beers. So, yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's very, very satisfying. And there's a sense of responsibility, but but the, the, it's, it's probably a sense of pride is, is the greatest emotion. Yeah, cool, mm. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's and this probably leads into this this question quite nicely. So try, we've tried a range of styles. Um, 
I I kind of feel like there is a there is an absolute theme, and seeing all the other beers that are available in the pack, there's a there there's a, a theme and an idea that runs through. But maybe I might see how you'd like to to sum it up. Um, what's what's the brewery trying to achieve? Like, I, there's that sense of bringing back history, but in terms of the what sums up kind of what you're trying to do with the beer range and the, the beers that you're brewing as, as, as in addition to, to kind of that his, that idea of history and, and family? Yeah. No, it is a great question. And, um, you know, we're, we're on a journey that's gone much further than we ever expected it would have when we tried the beers the first time two years ago. And now they have, you know, beers in every state and um, bringing everything back to life is beyond our wildest dreams. But um, we, we, we believe that we've got something that is special, you know, something that's authentic and, and something that's credible. Um, and we think there is a, a, a space in the Australian beer market for what we've done. You've really got the two big guys <laughs> still got... Yeah probably 80% of the market between them and they, you know, clearly they produce great great beers and they've gobbled up some of the, you know, smaller guys mm-hmm. over the last few years. So they've got a, you know, a broad repertoire. You've got Coopers that um, by a million miles are the most successful brewing family in Australian history. We're yeah. saying we're the most influential. They're the most successful. They've been mm-hmm. around. We basically both started at the same time and, you know, they've got, they've, the number three player clearly in the, in the marketplace. Uh, after that, I think it drops off. You know, there's a big tail. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of breweries, and uh, you know, we don't see any reason why we couldn't become one of the bigger ones of the smaller ones. You know, one of the bigger guys of the smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we we're not we're not setting any lofty expectations, but we're not also not putting a lid on it. So. We want this to be as big as it possibly can and we'll give it, give it every opportunity to do so. But I don't see why we can't become a reasonable player in the Australian beer market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to throw in the traditional cool room question. And this will, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, by your answer here. Um, so the traditional question kind of tries to pull the the curtain aside on the on the hospitality brewing game and and just kind of find the the find the the stranger weirder more amusing stories that can come up in in brewing and hospitality so what's the strangest thing you've ever seen in a cool room uh and when i say cool room quite a broad definition so it could be pub could be uh, I'm pretty sure Michael runs a really tight ship at Burnley, so you probably haven't seen too many strange things there. Um, yeah, but what's the strangest, weirdest thing you've seen on this on in your beer making journey? It's a great. It's a, I did. I did say that question. It's a. It's a. It's, it's a hell of a question, and mm. um, uh, I would have been to a lot of call rooms in my time. It's one of bottle shops and. Because, yeah, I have been basically um, involved in the industry since I was 17 years of age. So I've been to a lot of cool rooms. Yeah. But yeah. Mate, no, you, you normally spend as little time as there as possible because there's so bloody, there's, there's so bloody cold. Most of the times I'm 
trying to see if my beer's in there or how much beer they got, my friends that they got and stuff like that. But now the the, the, the the what it what it brought back to my mind is I did have um, some time in the New Zealand beer market uh, in the in the late last century, eighteen the late nineteen nineties. And I was in I was in the call room and uh, with a staff member, and here was this large Kiwi lady necking a bottle of DB Draft. Would have been probably in Wellington. So she's in the call room necking a bottle of DB Draft. Do you know you know how sometimes you're walking around the supermarket and like you you just like you pay for it at the end, but you just kind of open something in it. And I'm pretty sure supermarkets don't allow. I look, they'll frown on it a little bit. But you know, occasionally I get a pack of Smith's crisps off the uh, off the shelf, and I like I don't know. I just feel like half the packet, and then you know, I'll just you know run it through the the till with, at the end of at the end of the thing. But maybe Dan Murphy's needs that. Maybe yeah. one day. <laughs> consume, consume in store. Just wander in the back and just, <laughs> just like smash a gold one and then just wander up the front and hand over the, the empty bottles. Well, the empty I, can see it. I can see a whole cool room series happening here about, you know, people uh, drinking a beer in the cool room, but I don't, we don't want to encourage that. No, we don't want to encourage that. No, no, James, <laughs> thank you for being the voice of reason on this. And uh, Warren... <laughs> Warren, we have to have some HR training for you, I think, about your... Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I do need a little bit of a brush-up. <laughs> um, look, that's a ripper. We've got a couple of audience questions. We might have room for one or two more, but let's unmute. James, you've been excellently generous with your time on, well, a huge night, not just here in the cool room, but a huge night in Australian sport, and we love that. Um, David Craig was with us earlier on. He's left us, but um, he, he was asking a question about... I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but is there a, a brewing hall of fame in Australia? And I don't know whether there is, but it's a ripper question. And is there a place that we actually acknowledge people who've been brewing in Australia for hundreds of years, which is an awesome legacy? Wow. Um, certainly not that I'm aware of. Certainly, uh, now the big guys have got their visitor centres and, 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 and museums as a um, CB Abbotsford have got uh, a visitor centre, Cascade have got a visitor centre, Bogues have got a visitor centre, uh, West End used to have one. So, But it's more about the history of their brands and their marketplace. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, there's certainly, well, there's, there's certainly the Brewing Institute, but I don't know whether they recognise, you know, the Brewers Hall of Fame as in footy terms, Um but it's a hey, it's a great idea. <laughs> I'd like the yeah. idea. It's probably a better idea than drinking a can in the cool room. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, I might grab that and run with that, the same as the, uh, the 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 recipe on the back of the t-shirt idea. Excellent. We've got, we've got so many good ideas. It's talking about people who bring good ideas to the cool room, James. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you to unmute, and I've, you've I've sort of workshopping your question as well, but. You know, you're keen on asking about the Irish heritage. So what's your question about that? Yeah, well, I guess thanks, David. And thanks, James. It's been fascinating to hear about the history. And um, as someone of Irish heritage, I can't help but note that Irish people are quite good at proliferating 
And I wondered <laughs> if that was part of your business model that you knew you had a strong market stake because of your extensive family when setting up. Uh, there wouldn't be a hundred Griffiths who would come to a beer launch, can I tell you? Um, we, sorry, are you talking about the size of our family? How many family members are there running around because we're of Irish descent? Is well, that, you're everywhere. Yeah. There's Walkerville, there's Toowoomba, there's Sale. <laughs> yes. like you're all over the dial. Yeah, no, that's right. So the family worked in um, 30-odd breweries around Australia. There were 22 uh, brewing uh, family members uh, over four generations. So, yeah, they and they did travel, which is quite extraordinary from the looking back in the era. Uh, the As an example, Morris was working at the Toowoomba Brewery and then he went to Fremantle. So I would have thought Toowoomba to Fremantle would have been a hell of a journey over 100 years ago. And even the family members that set up Toowoomba, when they um, sold that, to Queensland breweries, they, they then moved to Cairns. And, I mean, the geography hasn't changed. We're going to, to women to Cairns is as far as going from Melbourne to Brisbane. So they were very entrepreneurial. Um, but it was also, I think, following the, the opening up of Australia. So they were really going where the action was, so to speak. So Ballarat and Bendigo were obviously coalfields. And, um, you know, Cairns at that time was a, a big market and... So they, they really were, were going where their opportunities to set up breweries, or in a lot of cases they were asked to start up a brewery or asked to, to become a brewer at, the, at a brewery. So it was probably more following the growth and the opening up of, of Australia. But it is, it is really quite extraordinary, <laughs> the amount of geography that, that the family covered. Um, but in some cases they were, they were you know, headhunted or recruited to set up, to set up, certainly in Tasmania, uh, Thomas moved from Kent Brewery in Sydney and started up Tasmanian cooperative breweries in um, in Hobart. But he was headhunted to do that, like he was recruited to start up the brewery. So, you know, they did have a great reputation in the day, and and they were entrepreneurial enough and adventurous enough to move. But I guess if if you move from Ireland to Australia, it's just going. <laughs> Going anywhere else from that is probably yeah, obviously hard. gravitating towards the great towns, like as we've heard, Bendigo. Yeah, thank you, James. That's beautiful, mate. <laughs> I, I love your work there. I'm going to come back to that. We, we're not done with Bendigo yet, but Corey, you've got a question, and it doesn't relate to Bendigo. So, I, I'm just going to say that it does sound like if you wanted to start a brewery back in the day, it's like, oh, you want to start a brewery? Oh, yeah. Look, look, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be be a part of that, but you've got to get a brandy. Because, like, we're never going to survive without a brainy. Um, I'm not sure that was the language, but there's certainly, there's certainly some of the history we've got is fantastic, and even just the language that's used and, you know, the glowing terms. But um, there, were, there were a lot more breweries than the ones that my family worked at, but, but they did work at the big ones, and they were recruited to the big ones. And, yeah, they, they built a, a great reputation um, so, so my my question is just picking up on one of the things you said just before, and um, I I do think uh, for the styles of beer that you're brewing, you're absolutely on a winner partnering um, with Burnley. But you did mention about you know you want to be 
you you'd love to be one of the the bigger of the middle ones or however you you approach that so that means your own brewery that's something that's in your plan it's 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 uh, well if it's commercially viable it's probably more likely that we will brew our beers in 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 back to back to those states so it's probably more likely that we'll brew our beers back in Queensland and back in WA and back in South Australia. Um, but the plan is to do that in collaboration with Burnley. So we love the relationship. We love the brewers. So we would more likely see that Burnley would collaborate with brewers in the other markets so we could get the beers produced there. Because uh, freight's a bitch. Like, it costs so much. <laughs> See, this, this is where you now need to go back to the uh, Cool Room archives and, and listen to Burnley's um, discussions about their growth and dominance. And, yeah, they, they, they might sort of um, do that for you. But, hey, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, we've, yeah, we've got no intentions of, of, uh, of not keeping uh, Burnley as our as our contract brewers. But we also think if we're going to grow, we're probably going to have to produce beer uh, in other breweries, but we want to do that with, with Burnley, yeah. Well, well, I, for one, will be purchasing to try and further your growth. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. Much appreciated. Thank you, Kylie. I've got a couple of questions before I throw to my good friend, Mr Warren Wu, to, to round things out. But so picking up on that, we've... Corey just asked the question about whether you'd ever want to open your own brewery. I guess my question for you personally is, is the recipe that you personally would like to brew, like not a family recipe, a style of beer that you like or your own twist that you would like to put into the family legacy? (laughs) Um, I didn't see that one coming. Um, Uh, That's good. That's my job. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um... No, I, I don't. No, I don't. I mean, it's no. The answer's no. Uh, a, it's not about me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm delighted that, that Justin and I are the ones that are showcasing this, but we are doing it on behalf of our wider family. And, you know, there is a the fact that there were so many family members, that means there's a lot of descendants and uh, some of those are already involved in the, in the business. So, uh, no, it's by no means what I personally... Uh, want to do, and we still want to stay as true as possible to to what our family did over over the over the years. So, no, we're not going to bring in a you know uh, a sour or something different because that's something I'd like to do. Um, well, I think we're pretty rock solid of just of, of, we've got enough um, rich history and, and and enough in the recipe books that we we we, we think. Um, is more than enough to work with. So no, I don't. I don't think I'll, I won't be uh, trying to whip in my own creation. Well, look, we and we've touched on this one. The, my last question is going to be about Bendigo, because the family did go up there. We know it's the best town, you know, in uh, regional Australia. Tell us, you know, where was what was the best beer that came out of Bendigo when I was growing up there? I never thought there would have been regional breweries. It's Talk about a, a exist in that dead spot between, you know, the end of the local breweries and the renaissance of uh, craft breweries. You know, are there any Bendigo stories you can share with us? The Brainies took over breweries that other people owned. Bendigo has got 
probably as many name changes and ownership changes as any of the breweries that we were involved with. Um, and I've looked at, you know, done my own research. There were, you know, clearly Bendigo was a rich gold town and there were a lot of pubs and there were a lot of breweries. The, the brewery that, that was the Brony Brewery um, was on the corner of High Street and Oak Street. And I dropped past the other day. I dropped past and took a photo. Good. Well, exactly. But it actually took that whole block. So it was it was a big it was a big big site. So um, you know the Bendigo, as far as brewing history, would be similar to most of the other rich towns. It would be similar to Ballarat, similar to other rich towns. There were there was a lot of beer drinking. There was a lot of breweries, and you know. A lot of them consolidated. Ballarat probably was a bit stronger because Ballarat Brewing Company ended up becoming a very big business where there probably wasn't the same consolidation in Bendigo. I don't think a really big Bendigo brewer ever came out as the dominant. I think it probably still remained quite fragmented, whereas Ballarat Brewery was a monster. So That's uh, because the weather in Bendigo was better and so people didn't have to consolidate into small warm rooms just because it was easier to you know, spend time in Bendigo, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but um, no, Bendigo is great for us. The Bendigo RSL has our Royal Lager on, <clears throat> on tap. They order it every week. They've had it for 12 or 18 months. So the Bendigo locals resonate uh, with, our, with our history, and that's fantastic. We love it. And a lot of good people come from Bendigo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm told that like, my family pub that my great-great-grandfather used to run, the MacIver, uh, just in the very sort of, you know, inner east of Bendigo, I guess, uh, the house that he used to have over the road is now up for sale and my parents are saying, for God's sake, don't come back and buy that house and run that pub. <laughs> so a little lesson in there for everyone who wants to run a pub. Oh, that's terrific. Um, thank you very much, James. Thank you for, for sharing your wonderful beers and also the great history uh, surrounding the beers in the brewery. Um, yeah, if uh, where can we find you on social media if we're looking for you? And where can we, where can we hunt you down? Um, no, thanks very much, Warren, and I've loved it. You've been very kind audience. I was sort of, you know, wondering how this was going to go, but I've enjoyed it and hopefully I haven't spoken too much. But um, we've, got, yeah, we've got our own website, brainybros.com, um, that lists all our stockers. We try and keep that up to date. So if anyone's looking for where to get our beers, that's the best place Excellent. to go. Uh, we do have online uh, ordering opportunities, but we, it's probably easier to get it locally. But if you can't find the beers you're looking for, you can get them. From us, uh, we're on Facebook and, and Instagram again as, as Brainy, Brainy Bros Breweries. Um, we, well, I mean, I've got a marketing background, and I think the social media is fantastic. So, yeah, we're pretty active on it. We really use it to promote where our beers do become available. So, if someone puts their beer on tap, we'll put it on our socials or get a new stockist. So, it's more talking about where do you get it, and also talking about bringing our our backstory. To life, so we've done um, a series of videos called Meet the Brainies, where we go back into locations and shoot where the brewery was and get family members involved. So we've used 
um, a social platform to, to bring our backstory to life and, and also to, to help people uh, find where our beers are available now. So if, right. that, that, if you keep an eye on both of those, um, um, you'll be pretty much following our journey. Brilliant. Thank you very much, James, and uh, have a great night. We'll be sitting around um, maybe sampling a couple more of your beers. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. No, awesome. Thanks, Warren. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Thanks, Corey. Great chatting to you all. See you guys. Bye. Thank you, James. Thank you. I'll finish the rest of my beer. (laughs) See you guys.